All right, so welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 101 tonight, crossing over to the uh, the other side of that 100 there. So thank you for everyone that has listened through at the kickstart of this. And this is starting off the next uh, bit of this journey here. So uh, I figured a great way to start it off was to invite in a, a friend of mine that I've I've met through uh, times where it's been harder to meet friends here. So tonight I am joined on by the founder of the Greenhouse Recording Studio in New Hampshire, co-founder of the Unlabel Record label, right? Unlabel Records, yeah. Unlabel Records. Co-founder of Unlabel Records coming from New Hampshire. I've got John MacArthur here. Welcome, man. Cool. Yeah, nice to be here, man. So for, for those that don't know John, I met John, I don't know, how that even happened to to join up in that group. But I, I have a, an audio mastermind that I do for New England. And, and there are people out of state too that are in there, to be honest. So anyone that wants to know about that type of stuff, we chat like once a month. But uh, John has been an awesome, awesome influence in that group. And uh, yeah, John, like, do you, do you want to run people through like like what are these things that you got and then maybe we can dig a little bit into like where these things came from? Sure. Um, so uh, the the greenhouse we started. My uh, my son Sam is uh, actually the recording engineer. I'm not an engineer, so he went to Huston University, studied uh, audio engineering up there. So round about his uh, halfway through his senior year. Which he was going. To, he was due to graduate in December. We started looking around for, like you did last last year, looking for real estate where we could build a studio. And so my wife was uh, touring around with my wife Reva was touring around with Sam while I was out in Las Vegas giving a speech. And uh, and they said, "Hey, we we found a house and it has a recording studio in it." <laughs> so they said, "We think we're going to buy it." So so they did. Wow. So, so Sam lived in the house while he finished up his degree, did a few recording sessions with the previous owner. And then uh, we went full-time in, I guess it was January 2018 is when we went full-time. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Not, not too long ago. Not too long ago. So I moved up here. Yeah, we used to, before we took it over, it was called the, um, the recording co-op. Ryan Ordway was running it with uh, Franz Haas. So we continue to work with him some, and he still gets over here occasionally and does some uh, does some work with Sam. You know, we started a number of record projects, singles, stuff like that. Well, I guess like because uh, there are two there are two things that coincide, but they're also kind of two different things going on. So basically, what I'm hearing is that you know Sam Sam went to school for engineering. I know you have a huge background in in network in music anyway. So how did the idea essentially that you were going to, cause that this, obviously this is the same spot that I landed at as well, doing the same yeah. thing to some degree. Right. So like right. what, what led to that decision versus Sam going to work uh, in some studio or rent a commercial space or like, like what, what went behind the process of buying a, a property and doing that portion of it? Cause I think, you know, it's it's a very unique experience trying to, to trying to purchase a property, either yeah. with a recording studio on it or, in my yeah. instance, finding one to make one on. It's just a weird it's process, a weird and I feel like it also benefits people. Like even if you're not a recording artist out there, like because I know we have a bunch of different creatives on the show. Yeah, even just trying to get a creative space is like a home business thing. It's just a, its own its own journey. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, How did that go? Well, let's see. I mean, I, I, my brother had a recording studio down in Tampa, Florida, back when I was in college, and I actually dropped out of graduate school to go play music with him. So no way, yeah. So we had built a recording studio together down in Tampa. You know, I did that, and I played music for like seven years. 
then I then I went and took a corporate job, you know. Well, I worked in a university for a while, and then I took a corporate job in banking and stuff like that. So I sort of was in music heavily full-time and then moved out. I was pretty much out of it, you know, for 20 years. Not not completely out, but, you know, not definitely not full-time in. Then I started right. ramping it up again. And then when, when Sam started getting interested in music, I mean, he, he was writing EDM all through high school. He would turn in EDM of uh, uh, records in lieu of turning in homework assignments. <laughs> <laughs> so we knew he loved music and he start, he's actually started at RIT in industrial design, but after a semester of that, he figured out that wasn't what he wanted to do. Sure. So he went, he, he went and transferred to Huston to New England School of Communications at Huston, studied audio engineering. And look, I mean, we're fortunate because uh, my wife and I both had, you know, corporate jobs for a lot of years and, Saved a lot of money. And so we, you know, Sam could have gone and apprenticed somewhere, but he had good, really good training. And we felt like I wanted to get back closer to music myself. Yeah. You know? I mean, this was kind of my third act, you know, <laughs> music. It's crazy that like that worked yeah. out that way that Sam also came into being like, this is exactly what I want to do. It's like right. almost like it like pulled you. It pulled the universe pulled you back into well, this. Like you had to be here. Well, my wife pulled me back into performing, uh, and then Sam pulled me back into the business. So it's been really good. I mean, we uh, I won't I won't deny it's been a really hard time, you know, with uh, with COVID and all because we were we had some really good momentum coming up, and then yeah. COVID hit us pretty hard. But we're back at it, and and as a matter of fact, there's a session going on today with a band. That awesome. got, got a three day lockout, so. Anyway, that I, you know, I had started. We'd started doing house concerts, my wife and I, because we wanted to create a music scene where there wasn't a music scene. You know, <laughs> we were this living is, this before the studio. You know, okay. I was going to ask you that. And this, where was that at? Still down in New Hampshire, down in Massachusetts, in, in Mass, Hall, yeah, in Holliston, Mass. So okay, yeah, we, used to, we used to put forty people in our basement or thirty people, thirty-five people in our living room to have a really intimate house concert kind of experience. I'm not a big crowds guy. And so that was, that was great. You know, and this is just sort of a natural evolution of that to sort of go from that to start the recording studio. And with COVID, we knew that there were a lot of artists that didn't have money to invest in projects. And so we said, well, we can upfront the money, you know, for some of the projects. And, uh, so we're doing we're doing some investing in projects now under the label under the record label so that's what that's about yeah so that so yeah we can totally jump into that i'm sure like i'll kind of randomly jump back and forth between the two because sometimes there's a crazy story for how things develop and then there's like a more natural one it sounded the, the way you framed it at least it sounded extremely natural for these things to happen i don't know if it felt that way at the time, but it's, it sounds very natural the way that it came together to kind of exist. Yeah. It, I mean, it's an evolution. Cause it was, I mean, you sit there and you look at what, what do artists need? So they, they write great songs. Maybe they need some help on the production side. You know this. So you do help them with co-writes and stuff like that. So we've got people who work with artists on co-writes, but they need places to play. So that was another part of the business. So we actually added the record label a publishing company and and we acquired two thirds of a booking business so we could start to do more event development, things like that. I don't know if you've heard of NH Music Collective, but no. it's out of uh it was out of Concord, so Brad Myrick started it and he's a phenomenal guitarist and he had started booking a number of clubs. And awesome. so my wife and I invested in his company and then put it all under one umbrella company with the record label publishing company in the booking business and artist development business. So, yeah. So basically it's kind of, think of it as kind of a 360 thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the unlabel like a little bit. Yeah. Explain, explain that concept. Cause I feel like some of your statement comes right through the name on it. What, yeah. What's the idea of the, the unlabel and, and kind of what, what is the expectation for some of these things that you've put under that umbrella to create? Like what, what is this? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, record labels have a bad rap. Everybody wants to get signed and then nobody wants the contract that you sign. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> I mean, oh my know, God, I, that's so true. 
Not true. Like, like, I don't know if you know the story of Kina Granis. She's a phenomenal singer songwriter out of LA and she won some contest where she got, you know, her song got played on, 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 at the Super Bowl. And by winning the contest and having her song played at the Super Bowl, she, she was offered a record contract and she looked at it and she said, I don't want this. And so she walked away. From it, you know? So it's like, uh, so I see that a lot. So, I mean, basically the record companies, I mean, I know they're in, a, in it to make a, uh, make a, you know, well, to make a fortune. I'm, I'm in it to, to help artists get product out there, have a pool that gets replenished so we can invest in more projects. And so, yeah, we take, we're, we're looking for some upside, but it's not, it's nothing like what the record labels, like the big record labels are looking for. And, and the investment is smaller, frankly. You know, one of the things that we do enable with the record label is I find that a lot of artists will put out a great CD, but they don't leave any money for marketing, you know, it's all like, the time. Right. It's, almost uh, like, almost like mostly really. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they which end up I, with, which I appreciate. Like I appreciate like as an audio engineer, I appreciate when people care about the sound. So like I definitely don't tell people not to do that, right? But then it's like you also it's like a if a tree falls in the, the forest, does it make a sound? It's like, well, if you paid for really good sound, you don't want to put it and just leave it in the middle of a forest. Like you gotta get that sound some places so that people can appreciate it and care about it, and that's where the marketing budget comes in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general, I mean, our guidance is for every dollar you put into the recording, put a dollar into marketing, you know, and the marketing is, can be, you know, update your photos, do a, you know, a a killer video, do some press outreach, do some, you know, outreach to radio, radio shows, podcasters, things like that, you know, just get the word out. So we do that. And then the other thing that we do for people, because we have the booking business and we have the artist development business, we try to um, try to find ways for them to generate enough incremental uh, income to be able to pay us back, even if they're not selling, you know, a thousand copies of the CD or 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 getting you know a hundred thousand streams. So, right. yeah, because that's what happens with a lot of those deals that are like a really bad deal. Is the company, you know, the record label says we'll give you x like a a really big front end and then they don't they do help you with the marketing like it's not like they're not helping you but they don't really have like a solid plan it seems most of the time of like how how will this really be recouped in a way that like allows this artist to live a life because that's what seems to happen is like those three some of the 360 deals and things that are are positioned right now with record labels having uh so many issues keeping a hold of what they need for their income to run their big, you know, they have a lot going on. They, they, I don't ever deny them that they're, that they're a business and they should function and and be able to participate like a business. They have every right to do that, but it seems like a lot of deals, those deals that maybe that person passes up come in when it's something where there's no way, there's no plan in place of like, how, how will this ever be fulfilled? So that that way this person doesn't owe you their life, you know, just to keep their song. Right. Right. So, that, I mean, that, that's it. I mean, we try to keep the budgets tight, you know, so we're not spending $100,000 on a, or, or $40,000 on a, on a recording, but, you know, we'll, we'll spend more than what they would have spent if they were funding it out of their performance revenue pre-album and leave enough money to do some decent marketing and get them some promotion. And uh, first project we funded, the artist was able to pay us back in, in, in three months. Which you know, in a record deal, you can't do that. In a, in a no typical way. record deal, you can't do that. And so, I mean, and this was during COVID, man. So you know, it's like we did. We we were able to put on some outdoor concerts with her as a as a featured artist, and so it worked out. You know, so she's got another one coming up that we're doing April first. That's Cameo, who will be on the podcast after this one. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. Like directly following this one. So people out there who are listening to this one. We're going to have one of the artists on John's label who has a new release coming out soon. Actually going to be on, on the next episode to talk on the other side of this. So hmm. we'll, get the, we'll get the dirt, John. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think the other part of it, and Dave, you know, you know a bit about this as well. Is like um, There's also the long game 
which is, um, you know, things like um, sync licensing. None of that happens overnight. You know that it's a lot. It's a slog, but the revenue can be decent on the back end. Most artists don't have time to pursue it. So we, we typically split that 50, 50. If we can, if we can uh, get a sync placement, great. You know, we'll work hard to try to get a, get placements. Artists, a lot of artists don't have time to figure it out and know how to set up the music to get a sync placement. Yeah. So, and I won't, I'm, I won't oversell you here. We're at the beginning stages of that, you know, like you're a marathoner. This is, we're, we're treating this like a marathon. So. Yeah. You know. I'm not, I'm not good at sprints. I'll tell you that much. I never <laughs> was. Either. I never was either. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that that, that's killer because like, obviously being able to recoup what you have in it in three months is just unheard of, first of all. And second of all, on a local level, that is really impactful because like, I know, I, I mean, I think I probably know a lot of the artists. No, that's what uh, Dakota and, and Senny, I had known before I knew you from playing in clubs in yeah. Concord. They would just be in the same they would be playing acoustic session or like they would be playing something and some night, a bunch of nights. Cause I hit that circuit a lot. So I knew about them, but it's like, they're, they are first of all, very talented people. So they're, they're, they're putting out quality stuff, but at the same time for them to have something with that power on a local level is extremely valuable. I think because a lot of the reason why people, go after a record label like that is because obviously they think that that, that, that equals this. So like a lot of times they get, they want the record label because they think that that equals success. But I think also equally so many artists that I've either had on the show or that I talked to for the very reason that you're saying where they just, they don't have time to like make that amount of music and the shows and like everything. And also try to dig into sync licensing try to dig into like controlling each piece of marketing or like all these things to like help them do it. It's just like a lot to do. And like, I'm very aware of that because I I have my, uh, my day job and then my audio business here. And, and that hurts me as an artist because me, when I'm trying to write and and record and play my own music, it's just, it just comes last. So like, that's something that I very much understand with, uh, how many things could be on someone's plate and, and having something like that on a local level. I don't think that that's very common, especially not in New Hampshire. I feel like. Yeah. I do want to be clear. Yeah. You mentioned, because you mentioned Senny and Dakota, neither of them are under the label, but we do work with them and, and, and have booked them and recorded them both. Senny's recording some stuff with us now and Dakota's oh, cool. recorded with us in the past. So it's interesting. So we designed the model to be, non-threatening and very supportive but i'll tell you a lot of people they're still nervous about it you know yeah uh, it's a very common reaction to say i just want to i want to control everything I want to own 100 percent of the publishing rights I want to own 100 percent of the uh, of the of the copyrights i want to own 100 percent of the masters and that's okay you know it just means you have to do all the work you know <laughs> so so yeah you know, uh, you, you and and again, it's not a criticism of any approach. It's just what do you what do you want to do? My goal is to fund a few projects, get recoupment relatively quickly, help the artists get recoupment relatively quickly, so that I can then fund more projects. And then there'll be a long tail, hopefully, of small incremental revenue, longer tail, not super long, but long tail of of other revenue from things like sync licensing. Because I don't know right. if you know. To get paid out on a sync license can take two years easily, you know. Wow, I yeah. knew it was called like, isn't it called like mail money or something? It's like <laughs> you get the check in the mail and you just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this is one guy. He's like, you know, the, the brand. two years is incredible though. Two years yeah. is significant. Yeah, I mean, well, it's just like you think about it. It's like um, if you get a placement on a TV show, right? You might get a little bit up upfront money, but then you got residual money later, and uh, the upfront money you might get six to nine months after the after they agree to take it, and then the residuals will come when after the TV show starts broadcasting, you know, and everybody's 
floating the money. So, you know, the, <laughs> so there's somebody, everybody's got 90 days to pay and there's like three levels, you know. Oh, I got it. Like one person, the, everyone's net 90. And I like everyone literally, first one comes in, pays the budget at 90. The next one's like, great. Now I've got that money so I can pay all these other people that were on this show. All right. Let me just wait a couple, three months to get there. All right. Awesome. I will finally pay that at day 89. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the artist is net never, right? And that's <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> You've gone off into the world. You might've moved a couple times. Like yeah. you've had life events happen. And then finally you get paid for something that you did. And you're like, right. Oh wow. I can't believe that I did do that at one point. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's the other thing is that a lot, of, a lot of artists don't know how to register to protect their rights, get or collect their, their royalties. They don't even re- register with ASCAP or BMI or CSAC or, or whatever, you know, and or song trust, they don't register. So we'll guide them through that process and make sure that they're, you know, everything's properly registered. Well, so I guess like, I know you took, we talked about it. You're taking a very invested class in this to learn this, but <laughs> on like the the purpose of this podcast, we don't have time to like delve into this, but are there some basics that you can share for artists out there that are like maybe listening to this right now and they're straight up like I have no idea what you're even talking about, oh, but either sure. artists that are like, "Hey, what where do I figure this out or where do, what are some basics of starting to get into sync licensing or just claiming some of these sure. things?" Cuz I think there's a lot of money on the table for local artists that could have little odds and ends just from doing their normal weekend warrior stuff, you know? Well, so sync licensing is basically having your music attached to some, some video, whether it's a TV commercial or it's a TV show or it's a movie or a movie trailer. I mean, any, any of that. And so there are for each of those outlets, someone called a music supervisor and they select the music to go in the movie, in the TV show, in the, right. And so they need a couple of things. They need to know that the person who says, yes, you can use my music has the authority to say it. So there's that's, you know, they need to be able to clear the music quickly. Sure. Um, so somebody, somebody has got to have the authority to say yes. Sometimes it's got to clear in 24 hours, you know? Wow. Um, like the music supervisors, like I want that in there and like literally they have 24 hours of like, we need a yes or no of whether this can or cannot or else it's scrapped. Right. Like we're ready right. to go. And wow. if there's like three people you have to check with, like if there were four co-writers on it, you know, you can pretty much get, get that opportunity by if you could buy, if you, if you, if you haven't made it clear, who's got the authority to say yes. So, um, wow. so there's that kind of thing. And then it's having the music in the proper format. So maybe you wrote this killer song, but Hey, maybe they only want the rhythm section. Or maybe they only want the voice or, you know, so it's not, they want the acapellas. Strip out the tracks into groups, right? So you, wow. you, take, you take all the tr- all the tracks and you put them at least into stem groups and then master all of them because nobody wants unmastered groups, right? Yeah. And then if you're really doing your job, then you use a platform like maybe Disco so that they can so you, you attach all the metadata to all the tracks so that people i'm looking for something with 115 bpm in this style with a saxophone you know and so so they'll find it that way so it's a, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of metadata and a, and a lot of um just making it easy for the soup you have to think put yourself in the in the in the shoes of the music supervisor and say what would it take to do that job Make it easy for them. So a lot of them go to libraries or they have sync agents that they normally work with. So there's agents that represent artists. And then there's libraries that have cleared music, you know, that they can license from. So you have to submit from to get into their closed group. So you can start if you're just starting down the sync path, you could start by trying to get your stuff directly into a library and then hope somebody I hope a supervisor finds it and likes it, or you can get a sync agent to represent you, or you, or if if you've got some connections, you can go directly to the supervisor. That's a lot harder, but you can find them. There's strategies for, you know, approaching all of those. Yeah. So for like a a local artist, like what things do they need to do as like first steps that they should be taking to get their music. Uh, like, like I, I'm registered to BMI, 
but like some of some of those groups and stuff like that in Darla in our group was like really educated with some of the things that she was sharing on it. What are some things that they should be doing in, in that space right now, just for normal things that they can bring in? So the first thing is like, make sure you've got documentation on all the split sheets. If there's multiple people involved or you've got releases from everybody who played in the track on the tracks and then wherever you recorded it, whether you recorded it at home or at a studio, get the stems, put them into groups, master those. And then, and then pitch it to a library. That's probably the first place I would go. It's probably, it's not. Uh, and when you pitch it to a library, either look for somebody who reps that kind of music or reps a lot of music, but they don't have, but they've got a gap, you know? Right. That, that you might be able to fill. In a specific genre or sound. Right. Sounds, yeah. It's like, oh, they've got country and they've got folk, but they don't have like modern Americana kind of stuff, you know? Right. You know, don't have anything that sounds like Nickel Creek, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Like, I like, I've been doing work writing music royalty free for like podcasters or YouTubers. And then, like, also, I've also have a YouTube channel and I'm paying like a, a, a blanket license to Musicbed where I have, um, Basically, what you're saying right there is is essentially what that is. I don't know if it operates the same way as like being placed in a, in a movie like that, but uh, where I'm able to pick music as a content creator, it's funny being on like both sides of it of like writing music for content for that, but paying for music for my content at the same time. Because I also just like a music supervisor for the stuff that I'm utilizing that for. I don't have the time to write music for every video that I shoot, but every exactly. video needs music, you know. Right. It really does. It makes it makes quite a difference in the impact of whatever that content is that you're creating. Yeah, those music libraries run the full gamut from like like there's the all you can eat, you know, just pay a subscription. That's what you're using for your podcast, right? Right. And so you're not paying a lot, and the payouts for the for the composers and the people on the mechanicals is not that big on those. Right. You know? It's a huge body of content, right? But you know how how do you search for stuff there? In that in that yeah. library? Yeah. Th- that you can either search by genre, you can search by feeling, you can search by any anything anything like that. I can and you can you can switch yeah. between uh lyrics or no lyrics. Yeah, right. Right. So that's exactly what I mean. It's like I'm looking for and, and people sit there and all day we actually did that exercise with Darla one time. There's a guy that I meet with every Saturday. Uh, he lives in Switzerland, and he just had Darla tell me, give me a bunch of adverbs. I mean, adjectives to describe the music. You know, that he could then put into a metadata uh, library you know, as metadata on his music, and then you know, think about what kind of brands are associated with that you would associate with this sound. You know, mm, yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't listen to that many commercials, but if you listen to commercials, you know, you, it's like you hear, you hear the music there. It's like, ah, that's a, that's a good Nike sound, or that's a good Adidas sound, or that's a good, um, that's uh, cool Marriott, Marriott Hotel sound. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah, no, I get that. Like even when, like when I'm writing this stuff for podcasters or YouTube or something, like I have to ask questions to know what direction to go in because. People right. want like all sorts of different genres and you have to like, I don't know, this is your entrance. So it's like, what would you walk into, say you were having a a concert or like this was your show or live event. Like what type of sound do you picture you walk in the room to? Like, what does that look like? What feeling should people have when they listen to this? Like, how should they feel? Where are they coming to you from in an emotional way? Where, where what are they hoping to get from this? And like all these, these things that associate and it's weird to pick out those instruments right away. Yeah. Like I remember I was talking to a client recently and she's yeah. like, uh, she, if you're listening out here, Elizabeth, it, it was really cool conversation, but it was like, she was saying, I, I need to be trusted and like energetic and hopeful, but like not like zero BS though, like still like very like this. And I was like, well, I'm starting to hear the first parts. So I'm like, okay. And I'm starting to hear like, you know, like, I don't know, like soft basses and maybe like some like string, like 
light staccato string. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of things, right? And then I'm like, as soon as she's like, but zero BS. And I was like, okay, no glockenspiel, like no light, no light, like bell stuff. Those are gone now. Those can't be in here. And it's funny where like, it's funny to think through that process when you're like writing things for a mood or a sync or something like that. I, I don't know that I do the same things as your artist, but it's, it's an interesting thought process. It's different than anything I've ever done for normal writing sessions. Yeah. Yeah. You think about movie trailers, listen to a movie trailer. I mean, it's always a tension. It's almost always a tension track, you know? Yeah. So like it, it's starts off and it builds and it builds and builds and it's like super tense and then it drops and then it comes back and super tense again, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know? So that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, the guy who teaches the course, his name's Vel Williams. Most people haven't heard of him, but you know, he's, he's a seven figure a year sync licensing guy. So there's money there, but still, there's still more money in streaming than there is in the sync licensing. It's just hmm. that, yeah, most people don't pursue either one enough. Just in terms, you're talking about just typical streaming, like in modern day, getting plays on your stuff. Spotify, uh, YouTube, Apple Music, yeah. You're saying yeah. that that pays more than sync licensing? I'm saying that there's more money paid out that way Got than sync licensing. There's, you know, it's, I think sync licensing is probably 5% of total payouts, but the numbers can be big on a per payout basis. I mean, get placed on a good TV show, you can make a hundred grand. I bet. Yeah. yeah, some of those like the NFL songs and things like that. Some of the stuff that they use out is crazy. Yeah, actually, you mentioned NFL. I, I forgot about that for a second, but like video game too. That's all sync licensing, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I went to. Uh, I saw the composer for like the Tomb Raider games and like for the Destiny games when I went to some of the, the Audio Engineer Society conventions, and those were crazy to watch the way that they. I saw behind the scenes of like one of the the UI things that they had created for like the way that a character like approaches yeah. something and like control of the crossfading of like music coming in and out of that space into like it was it yeah. just blew my mind like that stuff is just like same thing with mixing in 360 like all all these other things like it's just I have a hard enough time just being an adequate mix engineer let alone like <laughs> some of that stuff you're just like oh my god dude what are you doing. <laughs> well, I met the I met the guy who did, uh, on, in the sync licensing group. I met the guy who probably twenty years did all the, wrote all the music for pro wrestling for for pro. Oh wrestling. yeah, what a blast, huh? That had to <laughs> that had to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. So what? So did you say the name of that course? Did you recommend it to people? Yeah, I would. I mean, you're, it's I the guy who teaches it is Vo Williams, and then the guy who set up the course is Ari Hurstead and uh, Ari's got a, a book out uh, how to make money in the new music business. And he's just started a whole bunch of, of courses and basically, so it's a course, which the course probably take you a weekend to take, you know, sure. Um, it's not long, but then there's a Facebook group where everybody meets and then there'll be, um, and then there'll be zoom calls as well. So you can get your questions answered by somebody who's killing it in the business. You know? Knows what's going on. So he's got one on sync licensing. He's got another course on uh, uh, online streaming performances. And he's got another one on how to grow your Spotify players. My nephew took that course and it's worked out really well for him. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think he probably spends, I don't know. I mean, his numbers are way up. His numbers are way up with uh, doing Instagram ads uh, to, to gain new followers. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a thing. And he's been doing it for not quite a year now, but it's, he's, uh, he's grown some good numbers. So that's awesome. It's good that it like paid off for him. Yep. Yeah. So it'll help him a lot when he gets ready to start touring again, you know? Yeah. That's perfect. It's a good time to build. Like how, how did that go for you? Cause I know that COVID hit some momentum on you and like it hit hard, but then you developed this label in that time. Like I don't want to, like I've been touching into COVID throughout the series, throughout the podcast, because it's been a piece of history and it, and it will be embedded into 
the people that we spoke on throughout these times, but uh, without, we don't have to go like crazy into it, but like, what, what did you see through those times? Like you, with the, the label creation and anything like that. And, and how did you navigate it? Cause it's been different for each audio person I've talked to. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first thing I, <laughs> the first thing I did is I signed up for guitar lessons. You know? <laughs> like I'm going to get better. at this. I, exactly. yeah, I, 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 I've been playing since I was 16. And so I've been playing for a lot of years and I'd probably taken 10 lessons in my life, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge myself to learn a different style of music and I'm going to push myself. And so I signed up with David Hamburger, who's this finger style blues guitarist that I adore. Uh, and uh, so I signed up for online lessons with him. And then I started this, um, I, I, I started out, well, call it a mastermind group, you know, kind of like your, uh, your group, right? Yeah. We, had, we had like 20 something people on, 20, 20 to 25 people on. Over time, it whittled down, but it was basically, okay, this has happened. What are we going to do? Take care of ourselves. What are we going to do to help people, you know, adapt? And so we just, brain, you know, we brainstormed. People shared ideas. We had a great group. We kept it going for, we, we met weekly for 26 weeks. And then people started um, getting opportunities to play out a little bit. Um, this is before it peaked up in December, so. So, so we decided to put it on hold for a while, but we did that. So that was good. Meanwhile, over the summer, like you said, we was like, okay, Brad Myrick had NH Music Collective and he'd been instrumental in helping us on the production side. And we'd already done two albums with him. And so we said, this might be a good time to partner up with him, give a little cash infusion to his business so we could be prepared to grow on the other side of it. Yeah. So we're trying to pick up, you know, if you if you ask most artists where they want to play, why they want to play in a place that's a great listening environment where the audience is there for the music, you know. So we're trying to cultivate more opportunities like that. Uh, that partnership with Belknap Mill has been great. We've got a uh, we've got a, a vineyard now, a winery that we're partnering up with now to provide music programming for them. Awesome. Um, yeah. So and these will be you know proper listening experiences. Trying to do more of that. And then at the same time over the summer, yeah, we couldn't do the indoor house concerts, but we've got this, we got this, the previous owners had horses and they had a dressage ring, which oh, yeah. makes, <laughs> makes for a perfect socially distant performance area. Yeah. It's, all, it's all flat. And so we, we did four outdoor concerts for people that had recorded here, you know, yeah. back to how do we help them make money back? So Alex Preston, uh, played here. Um, Cameo did a concert here. And then we had um, Audrey Drake, who had started a project here before we took over. And she finished up her project and did an album release concert here. So it was all good. It was fun. It was you can't fun. beat a house show. Like, I know that, like, you, the indoor and the outdoor and the different things that you've done in the past and now are probably all different things. But, like, I like my some of my favorite shows I've ever played were always house shows. They yeah. were just like you just can't beat the intimacy that happens at a house show because people just feel like they feel like it's a party basically instead of a yeah. concert. Even though at concerts people are not bashful people, it's not like that. It's just like people yeah. are more like I don't know, you like can't really be disrespectful cuz you're kind of at someone's house like and yeah. You can't you really can't not be happy to be there because like why are you there right like i know i guess you could be that way at a, at a concert because someone dragged you there or something like that but it's just like i don't yeah. know our shows have been incredible I've, I've played a bunch of them like in my my younger years and in the in recently uh not during covid times but yeah. i i love house shows basically so i could see doing the outdoor ones if you've got the space for it during the times that's probably amazing people probably love that it did. I mean, we we can park about twenty five cars on the on the yard, so that was fine. We had plenty of places to put people. Nobody had to be too close, so that was you know it was all safe. But I, you know, you make a really interesting interesting comment there. It's like a party. These are actually prop. I mean, when we run them, they're concerts. You know, it's a one hour concert. We don't go over an hour. It's a one hour concert. I always tell the artists like 
just leave them wanting more. Just make it amazing, you know? Yeah. And, then, and it's a free concert, so it's all donation-based. And the, the artists will make more from those than they will from most of the gigs they play. I bet. I, mean, I had a kid, 17 years old, played a house concert for us one time. We had 40 people there. And the kid made 900 bucks, you know, for a one-hour show. It's like amazing. Yeah. You're not going to get that at many bars around here. You know? No, <laughs> it's so, not a couple, a couple PBRs and a ham sandwich. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I actually think the worst I've ever had anybody do was like two fifty, And that's, and frankly, that was because he, he didn't follow our advice and, and keep it short. You know, he, yeah. he went, oh. it's a really interesting phenomenon. But I, I learned a lot about house concerts from reading a book, um, uh, No Booker, No Bouncer, No Bartender. Hmm. Um, um, it's, uh, it's a woman out in California who makes her living going to house concerts. Really? Uh, yeah. And so she she cuts a new album every year. Her husband's an engineer. She cuts a new album every year. She goes out on tour. Shannon Curtis is her name. And you've probably never heard of her. I hadn't heard of her, but I saw no. the book. I bought the book. I read it. I, you know, I coach people out of that book, frankly. And I actually contacted Shannon right before, you know, after six months of COVID. I said, how are you doing? Because you can't play house concerts anymore. She had shifted to online. Got it. And it's like, how does that go? You know, an online house concert. But it's like, it's a concert. It's like this. It's, you know, same, same kind of intimacy. I can see you. She can see the audience, you know. Uh, she does it over Zoom, and she has everybody leave their cameras on, you know? And so it's like being in front of an audience. And she said the money that she makes is about the same, except she doesn't get as much in merch sales. <laughs> it's, cause it's online, so. Fair. Wow. So she, she did 40 house concerts in the first six months. Wow. Good for yeah. her. Shannon Curtis. Buy her book, $9.95, I think. I don't get a commission, so. Hell yeah. Yeah. Actually, you beat me to it. I'm about to, in a couple seconds here, we'll ask you the uh, five questions at the end. And one of them is resources, but you've okay. given us two like very good ones throughout the show here. So see if we can drag anything else out of you for it. But well, I want to ask you, John, like one, one more question. And then I've got like my five questions to wrap this up, if that's cool by you. Absolutely. Um, because of your successes recently helping out some indie artists here who might not have done some of the things in the past, what would you tell to someone that, you know, maybe they're not at the spot yet to step into a label to have someone take care of some of these things. Like what should people be doing 100% of the time with a release or what are some of the things that you found are very successful to back someone up with the release? What should artists be doing just local indie artists who are releasing their music, but they're just sick of it, not performing well on, when they post it on Facebook and it's just crickets or they, they put it out and they have zero streams, like what should they be doing right now actively to back their releases in, in 21? Sure. Uh, first of all, update all your content. So it's not just the release. It's your put up new photos. If you can you know, create a music video, it doesn't have to be an amazing video, but you know, spend some time creating a decent music video. If you can't put together a decent music video, at least do a lyric videos so people learn the words reach out to local radio stations uh try to get some radio play there's a few that'll play indie not a ton but some will contact bloggers podcasters to see what shows you can get on talk about it and then create a whole calendar of promotion you know that kind of crescendos up till the time of the release so we, we started promoting i mean frankly anybody can do an online house concert you know Anybody, we, it probably helps to have somebody else running the controls, but yeah, you know, it's stressful to do yourself. I've it's stressful that. to do yourself, but have so have somebody, have a friend run the controls, but do an online house concert that's private where you introduce the new music, you know, before uh, it's actually released to the public. And then when it does release, everybody that you played for is going to want to hear the recorded version and nice. share it with friends. Do the Spotify pre-save. A lot of people don't think to do that. Yep. You know, submit it weeks in advance. There was a girl. She was an opener from. I used to run this open mic down in Massachusetts for kids. This is my last open mic 
a performer. She recorded her first song and she did it right. She submitted it to Spotify like four weeks in advance of the release. Yep. Sure enough, she got picked up on one of the playlists. And no so, way. Yeah, it, it does happen. Doesn't happen to a lot of people and doesn't happen a lot of the time. But, you know, but the first week it was out, she had 5,000 streams, you know, it's like, hell yeah. That's girl, awesome. Just don't expect it to happen every time. But you know, <laughs> it's a good start. It's a darn good start for a 17 year old kid, you know? Yeah. 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 So take it, own it. So those are some of the things. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of others, but that's I'd start with that. Just and make that's oh one last thing. So there's like a billion platforms, right? Make sure you're you've got it on Bandcamp. Make sure you've got it on SoundCloud. Make sure you've got it on all the streaming platforms. And if you actually want to get anything back, make sure you've registered with PRO. You know, ask yeah. for you know. Yep. Yep. So for anyone out there that, because I know that we've been kind of like really diving into some of the stuff, I will have some of these things in the show notes for you. I'll have some of these resources for some of these things that John's are ta- John is talking about right here will be in the resources, wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes, episode 101. And then uh, obviously I'm sure you could hit up John too, but I have some of those, I'll have some of those links for you. Uh, so, John, I've got like five questions that I do at the end. Are you ready to hang with me for those? And then I'll, I'll get you on to, you probably have even more stuff for your long day. I do. Yeah, but go ahead. Five okay. questions. Awesome. First one is, why do you do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could do on the planet? Why do you do this label? Why do you do the studio? I know that we have the story behind it, but sometimes there's more. Because I, I love music, I love being around music, and I love being around music musicians that are better than me. So. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Same, man. That's the answer, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, like I said earlier, like it, it pulled you into it. You were yeah. told that this was what you were supposed to be doing by the universe, pulled you in. The next question would be, along like setting up some of these things, what has been your biggest mistake in that process? Like maybe... Maybe you learned a really valuable lesson from it. So it wasn't, you know, something that wasn't worth your time. But like, what's something that you would say, hey, avoid this if you're following any of these routes? Like, try not to do this thing if you could still learn the lesson. Hmm. I'm trying to think of the, the biggest mistake. I won't deny, it. well, it just sort of depends on how you view mistakes, right? <laughs> so uh, there's a number of decisions that I've made that enabled me to lose money. So I got lots of tax write offs. <laughs> use positive. Future, I could use in future years. That's great. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I would, um, I, I, you know what? The biggest mistake I've made is thinking that what I think is a great idea to help artists isn't for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll, I'll, I think it sounds reasonable. I think it sounds like a good thing, but like red flags go up for a lot of people. And I just, I need to listen more carefully. Wow. Not, pres- not presume. It's, it's, and it's really hard to do. It takes like a lot of, that's just a really hard thing to, to do. It's just so much perspective and like feeling out people. And that's just a hard thing. Yeah. yeah. That just happens. Yeah. So, uh, flip side to it. Best thing that you've come up with along the way here. What's like your best idea or like you're most pumped on? Oh, uh, I am right now. Honestly, I'm most pumped on some of the event stuff that we're doing. And I'm and I'm pumped on the record label stuff that we're doing. Where these are not huge investments, you know. These are not these are not uh, these are not even five figure investments. You know, they're four figure investments, and it's working. So I'm pumped about that. And you know, as long as, as long as the artists are as pumped as we are, then they'll get their money. You know, they'll be able to. We'll be able to recoup it. We'll be able to invest in other artists. I don't have an unlimited fund of money, so I'm going to need recoupment, you know, but yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited about this. And, and the other thing is, the other thing is, you know, we haven't really talked about artist development, but um, people are starting to notice. They'll say, gee, I noticed some so-and-so's really upped their game. And it's like, are they in your coaching program? Say, well, actually, yeah, they are. So that's kind of cool that people are starting to notice that. So that's, cool. that's awesome. Yeah. That, that's, that feels really good to see that. It does. It does. Uh, 
this one I said, like, and if you don't have any more, cause you already shared a bunch, but I always ask like, what's one resource you recommend to the audience could be the ones you've already recommended, which I'll include the show notes. Or if you have anything else, book, podcasts, video, yeah. movie, it can be any type of resource that's been impactful to you that you think someone can be. It doesn't have to even be music particular. No, but I mean, I, I mentioned it, but I'm going to re I'm going to mention it one more time because uh, making it in the new music business by R.A. Hurstead is it's a great book. It's comprehensive. Most people aren't going to follow most of the advice, but if they did, it would up their game a lot. Yeah. And, and frankly, some of the coaching and some of the services that we provide are straight out of that book. We're doing for artists what they're not doing for themselves. And so that's why that, uh, actually I was surprised when I was reading through the book that uh, Ari actually mentioned Shannon's book in his book for those people who want to go out and do house concerts and how to do that. So, Oh, cool. Make- I didn't realize that. Yeah. I yeah. literally rebought that. I've re I did. I bought that as a book because yeah. I don't feel like I got the content from it. Well, as an audio book, that was one uh, where I, I'm finding I have to read that book. Well, it's, it's not good it, as an audio book. It's a reference book, man. Yeah. It's like yeah. anytime I'm going, okay, all right, we're going to release another album. What are those 27 steps? I need to go through, make sure the artist is done or that we've done for them before it's released, you know, go through it. Absolutely. Cool. Last one is the easiest question, John, where do people keep up with you? Greenhouse unlabeled. Where do people keep up with this stuff? The greenhouse recording studio you'll find on Facebook. If you want to connect with me, it's connect at T H E dash greenhouse dash new Hampshire.com. That's the best way to, that's the best way. Connect at the greenhouse, New Cool. All right. Well, I'll have those in the, the show notes for people that want to link up with them. And uh, cool. John, thank you for, we, we chat a lot, man. So thank you for giving the, me the opportunity to chat, but share. So thanks, man. It's, it's been fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Well, thank you guys for tuning in live on Instagram. Thank you people who are tuning in on Facebook or YouTube. And we can talk to Cameo next week who works with John and uh, get a artist perspective on some of the stuff that we're talking on. Continue this talk on music right now. I'm in the kicking off the next bit of uh, episodes here, John, back in my roots here. So cool, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.